Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being willing and motivated by love to save us, to enter in to the mess that humanity had made and to make a way when there was no way. We just thank you this morning, Lord. I pray your blessing upon this word on this tremendous day where we celebrate your incarnation and what that means to us. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good to see some new people here this morning. And if this is your first time here um, to Church of the Firstborn, we want to welcome you. And um, amen. Good to have you here, especially on this special day. You know, the Lord Jesus came 2,000 years, or more specifically, if we can venture that guess, 2,000 and almost 20 years ago that he entered into history. It says that he brought the firstborn into the world, which was Jesus Christ. It says that the world was made by him and through him. And when he came amongst his own, his own did not receive him or didn't understand what was going on there. It's an amazing thing. They said that there was 300 prophecies that were fulfilled on Christ's first coming. And I, I heard there's like double that are talking about his second coming that are yet to be fulfilled. And some of them are being fulfilled right now as we live and breathe in this age. The gospel message is that Christ came, that he died for us, that he spent three days in the grave and he resurrected, and then he ascended up into heaven. And we who have faith in him, that affords us entry into heaven because he paid for our sins, he paid our price. And that's our passage into heaven. The Lord and his goodness purchased for us a gift that could not be purchased. He paid a debt that he did not owe with his precious blood. The thing about it is, this is a story, it's not a, it's not a fallback position. It's not like, well, things screwed up, so i got to come up with something here to deal with this mess. But we know that this story was inscribed from the scriptures from the very beginning. We know that he was talking about the seed of the woman, that was going to come and was going to crush the head of the serpent. For one thing, women don't have seed. Men have seed. And Jesus came miraculously, was birthed. And the story, if you read the Old Testament, is a story of preservation of that seed. It's a preservation of a people that were bring forth the Messiah. And you know, I've heard it said that the hope of every young woman or um, a bride or a virgin or even somebody hoping to get married, that they would be the one that would birth the Messiah. And when it got narrowed down to the tribe that would birth the Messiah, so everybody who was of the lineage of David or the uh, tribe of Judah, any woman born in that um, tribe would probably be thinking, could I be the one that would birth the Messiah? Could I be the one that would bring forth this Savior of all mankind? This is a word out of the book of Genesis having regard to that. 
And this is in Genesis 49.8. It says, Judah, speaking to the tribe of Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be upon the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey of my son, you have gone up. He bows down and he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in blood of grapes, his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth are whiter than milk. Speaking of Jesus. This was a prophecy that was given thousands and thousands of years before the birth of Christ, but it was singling out the tribe of Judah that the Messiah was going to come forth from. From that, we know that David was a descendant of this uh, tribe, and he was, uh, Jesus was called the son of David. And there's a prophecy in 2 Samuel that God promised David that he would have a descendant upon his throne perpetually. And David was in there as he was considering making the temple. And he was blessed in the establishment of the kingdom. And he went before the Lord and he goes, Wow, Lord, who am I that you would be considered of me? And this prophecy that was given to him that through his line the Messiah was going to come. That when Jesus was here on the earth, the thing that they called him was the son of David. So they recognized, some of those recognized him. When they called him son of David, they understood that he was the Messiah. The lead up to this, you know, we sang some of these songs this morning. And it says that it was, you know, this time where 400 years of silence. Was there a sense amongst the the Jewish people that hope had been given up? Or the world was plunged into darkness and God had gone silent for 400 years? And then all of a sudden, this event that comes upon the earth that very few recognized, that very few recognized that there was a child, a prophecy that came. There was words that came to the temple that was a herald. That Zechariah says that your son is going to be great and heralded that event. And then Mary getting the word from the angel Gabriel that you as a virgin are going to conceive and she how can this be seeing I know no man they says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be with child and it's a miraculous thing and she accepted that word she accepted that word from the angel that be it unto me as you said and then you think about that you think about that favored position of being Uh, The mother of the Messiah. The one who's to give birth to the Messiah. And all that would entail. And we know that at that point she was called away to her cousin's house. And she went away for six months. And when she came back, I'm sure she was showing. And she had to give the story of... We did not have relationships. We're not, we're, my, Joseph and I did not, but the Holy Spirit conceived this child. Can you imagine the scorn that she was heaped on her village? Can you imagine the burden that that would be? And, it's, and it comes out in the Word of God that because of this, they cast aspersions on this birth. And they said, we know who our father is. We are not the sons of a fornicator when they were speaking to Jesus. So this this cloud of suspicion over his natural birth because of this supernatural thing that happened that those who did not have faith could not accept. 
And so they would point the finger at Mary and says, well, we really don't understand. You're, you're actually, they would call Jesus a Samaritan that was half Jew, half Gentile. They couldn't trust what his lineage was. So his life started out with this cloud. Did you ever uh, feel in your life that you weren't good enough? Or that there was a, a cloud maybe of your family name or something that took place and you just didn't feel like, man, that I measured up? Jesus knows how you feel. It says that his brothers would heap scorn on him. It says that there's a portion of scripture that talks, are you going up to the feast? You should go up to the feast. If you want people to know who you are, why are you staying at home? You should go up to the feast. So we look at this life that is so miraculous, yet it carried a burden with that. You know, when we come to Christ, there's no guarantee that everything's going to be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. But deep within us, we have this seed, we have this knowledge of Jesus Christ that we are victorious in Christ. And there's nobody who can take that away. And even Mary, given this task, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. She's laid in her pregnancy. And then there's the decree that went across the world that says everybody has to return to their place of origin. And both of them have to go back to the city of David. They have to go to Bethlehem, the house of bread. They have to go back to this place and take part in this census. And this place is swelled up with people because all the people who are from wherever they moved to in, in um, Israel, they're all coming back to their place of birth. And this place is swelled up. And we know the story that it says that they went to the inn and it was a 90-mile trip. I looked it up. It, 90 miles Hopefully on donkey back. We don't know for sure, but we're thinking that she rode a donkey. I hope she didn't walk 90 miles. 90 miles, you know, 90 miles is from here to Oahu. That's how far. Yeah, that's a 90 mile trip from here to Oahu that they had to go to the census and she being pregnant. So she goes there and I'm sure, you know, women who are having a hard time giving birth, or oh, go out there and go walk, do this. So she's riding on a donkey. So I'm thinking she's really, really pregnant at this point and really ready to give birth. And she goes to the inn, and there's no room for them. What a metaphor for Christ coming into this world, and is there even a place for him to lay his head? The Lord said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Started off from that beginning right there, that humble beginning. Born in a manger. Born amongst animals. Born amongst the sheep and the shepherds. And this is a true detail. I looked it up. In the town of Bethlehem, those surrounding pastors over there, they would pasture the sheep throughout the year. I think I brought this up last week. And it says that they would, they would shepherd the, the newborn flock, the newborn um, lambs. And they said in order for them to be a sacrificial lamb, they had to be pastured for 360 days out in the field, the open. And then they would be acceptable. They would examine it and say, okay, this sheep has absolutely no flaws. This is a, this is a flawless sheep. And they would take that sheep and then go up into the temple. And if you know anything about the Old Testament and the, the rites that were, uh, and the sacrifices that were given, they would slaughter those animals and take the blood and they would offer up a sacrifice to cover the sins for the people. And there was a lot of animals being killed. But that particular field in Bethlehem were the sheep that were raised for the temple. And here we have Jesus coming in there. I mean, uh, his, his parents, um, Joseph and Mary... And they're in this place on this particular night. 
and all of a sudden there's shepherds out there watching their flocks at night. It probably, I would imagine in my mind, I just see it late at night. They're sitting out on the hills and their flocks are down there. Maybe they're playing some music or whatever. And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and he says, I have tidings of good joy that this night a Savior is born. You're going to see the babe. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's going to be laid in a manger, which is an animal feed, uh, a tray for food. And they're like, wow. Let's go see this thing. Let's go check this out. So they wander over there. But as they're going, all of a sudden the heavens open up and there's a choir and a multitude of angels, it says. The reality just splits open like a portal opens up and it's a view into heaven of a choir of angels just singing of this glorious, glorious event that's about to transpire upon the earth. Can you imagine in your head what that would be like? They were freaking out. They were afraid. It says, don't be afraid. And they went and they found it exactly like what it was said. Jesus, Emmanuel, God in flesh. Now you think about this. It says that everything was created by Jesus. And there's nothing that was created that wasn't created that he didn't create. In Colossians 1, it says that everything was created by him, it's for him. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus was ever-present, everlasting with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the three of them, forever. But he interjects into this timeline of his history to become the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. Look at this scripture, this is in Isaiah 9. And it says in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born... And unto us a son is given. Jesus, as a human child, was born at that event. 2,020 some odd years ago. Born. But, as far as God was concerned, Jesus was always ever present with him. And this son was given. Here, son, go in and start this act of, of, of uh, um, redemption for fallen mankind. Unto us a child is born... And unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with justice, judgment and justice. From this time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God's prophetic word coming into uh, tangible action. You know, when Jesus resurrected and they saw him physically, they shared uh, a meal with him. And then they said, the Lord has risen. He says, the Lord has risen indeed. A real thing. Not some story, not a spiritual event, but in real life. Jesus comes into history at a point, and there's a historical character. I re-listened to Lee Strobel's testimony um, this week. And Lee Strobel's was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And his wife got born again, and it aggravated him so much that he was considering divorce. So he went on a quest... And he was a court reporter that looked into murders and, you know, or not, he would report on the murders that took place in the court uh, dealings. So he understood evidence. And he went into an investigative process of the life of Christ for two years. And he says the evidence of Jesus Christ being a historical character and the fact of the resurrection was so true that he says the, the evidence is irrefutable. And he came to the conclusion, what am I going to do about this? 
I can't discount this. I tried and I failed. The evidence proves that there was a person named Jesus Christ. And not only that, everything that was written about him is true. And what does that mean for me? And he went in with a hostile attitude towards the gospel, but came out a truly a, a strong believer. And he's an apologetic. He goes around the world preaching this message, and he's given his life to the Lord. And he finally came to his faith, he came to his senses, and he told his wife, I've, con I've considered all the evidence, and it's true, and I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And he repented, he cried out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, you don't, you don't understand, or I, I confess this depraved lifestyle that I lived all these years. I was angry, and I was rebellious, and I repent of that, and I accept your son Jesus Christ as my atonement for my sins. And he became a believer. Hallelujah. That's the best news known to mankind. Right? That is the gospel. That there is redemption. There is forgiveness. And there's no other name given unto mankind whereby we must be saved. The name is Jesus. Pastor Tasha read this scripture, and I wanted to read that also. If we go to the uh, John, the Gospel of John, first chapter. You know, every, um, let's see, the, the two Gospels have the genealogy of Christ in there. Matthew has the genealogy, and that's stemming from the side of Joseph. And Luke has the side of genealogy that's stemming from the side of Mary. And the genealogies are in the line of David, and it goes on. Uh, one goes all the way to Adam, the other one goes to Abraham. And they trace the genealogies there. I know genealogies, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we just go, yeah, begot, 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 okay, boom, moving on. And we don't really study it, but there's some interesting things that you can find reading a genealogy. This is the one, you know, you think the Gospel of John does not have a genealogy, but it actually does have a genealogy. It's a genealogy of his deity. And in the first chapter of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness of the light. And although, uh, and through him he might believe, he was not the light, but was sent to bear witness to that light that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as, any, as many as received him, to them he gave him the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, tabernacling in a body of flesh, walking amongst his own creation, can you imagine that? Veil, glory veiled in flesh. We know that at the transfiguration, God was allowed, he says, I want to, at his baptism, he was glorified. When he was baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And then all of a sudden, there was a voice from heaven. It says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And some people said, Whoa, it thundered. Some people heard the voice, and other people, they saw uh, uh, the Holy Spirit descend upon him and alight upon him like a dove. 
So you have the Father speaking from heaven, we have the Holy Spirit over Jesus, and we have the Son of God veiled in flesh, right there, the Trinity. And God says, I will glorify you, and I will glorify you again. He glorifies His Son, Jesus. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's another portion in the Gospel of Matthew, where he took Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain, and he was glorified once again. And it says, a bright cloud came and overshadowed them. And Jesus, it says, his clothes were transfigured, and it became whiter than a launderer could make these clothes. It's so bright, it's like, whoa, he's shining. The majesty of the flesh could not hold back the glory of God, just shining forth from him. Then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up, and Peter's so overwhelmed with this majesty. He goes, let's make three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for you, Jesus, and one for Elijah. And the Lord wants a Lord God says from heaven, This is my beloved son, hear him. And Moses and Elijah went away. So his that that um, the flesh that was holding back the glory could not contain that light that was in him. They got a revelation of who he was. Jesus says, Do not tell anybody about this until after I'm resurrected. This tremendous event was witnessed or was understood by few during this time. I think after the resurrection of Christ, we all know that some of his brothers, like I said, they, they must have thought Jesus was crazy before this. It says James and Jude, you know, and the brothers, and some other people say, well, Jesus never had any brothers or sisters. No, the Bible is clear that he did have brothers and sisters, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And after he resurrected his brothers became believers in this. It's an amazing thing that took place. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of God. Jesus fulfilled all the Father's will, that He broke the curse of sin and death that held us back, that was the thing it says in the book of Hebrews that all our life that we are withheld, we're held back by the fear of death. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You know, it's like it's this fearful thing. It's like, well, what's going to happen? What's, what, what happens at death? But we know that Jesus said, I offer you eternal life. I offer you. That's what this represents. It's the gift of eternal life to anyone who would believe in this. That we receive this gift. You know, this morning there was a lot of gift giving going on. You know, people are passing gifts back and forth. But a gift doesn't do us any good unless that gift is received, right? So if somebody went out there and shopped the finest thing, and you're like, well, I don't want to receive that from you. You're the loser. You're the loser. Right? If somebody offered you up a tremendous gift and you go, well, I really don't like the package that thing's wrapped in. You know, maybe it was wrapped in newspaper with some string on the, I don't know about that one. I'll take this over here. I don't know so much on that. That's how Jesus is. That's what stumbled a lot of people. I don't really like the package it's coming in. He's not from the right place, but he was from the right place. They thought he was from Nazareth, but we all know that they had to walk 90 miles up to Bethlehem for him to be born. And the prophetic scripture says, out of Bethlehem, this child is going to come from Bethlehem. It was veiled from the casual observer. Veiled. 
that when we look at these things, we ask, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Let me not just pass by. You think about how God reveals. How did God reveal himself to Moses? Moses is a keeper of sheep also. I don't know why God chooses shepherds all the time. But Moses on the backside of the desert just chilling for 40 years watching a herd of sheep. And he sees something on the mountain. He goes, now that's a curious sight. I think I got to go up there and check this thing out. Are you curious about things? You see something, eh, what does that mean? Let me look into this. Moses goes up there and it's a bush burning why a bush burning? That's weird that the God of creation is in a bush burning. And he goes, but it's not being consumed. And the Lord speaks to Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is a hollowed place. And he reveals himself to somebody who was seeking. It's not always the big booming things. It's not always the crowd responds to these things. In fact, the Bible says that it's a remnant a lot of times. We should be very, very thankful to the Lord that He caught our attention. That He called us and we responded to this message. Because you look at how Jesus is blasphemed. Did you know in Netflix, I mean, we all know, you know, what they've done. They portray Jesus as a gay man. I, I just, that is so disgusting. I don't even want to say that. But yet this is the world that we're living in. It's a world that is anti-Christ, against Christ. Cancel. Cancel it, man. It's a wicked world that we're living in right now. And, and like I said, in, in the first John, it says, this is the spirit of Antichrist. There are many Antichrists, even at the time of John, but there is coming one Antichrist, the one who's going to oppose, and he's going he's to try to mimic our king. He's going to say, this is mine, and I deserve all the adoration of this that is only due to our king, King Jesus. Anything beyond that is antichrist, is in, par, in, in place of Christ, opposed to Christ. We're not into that. We're into Jesus Christ and elevating that name that is above all names. Amen? I just thank the Lord that He has chosen to unveil this truth to us and... What effect does this have on us? You know, you would think that a story like this, once received, would be the center of our existence. And yet, because I was talking to my son about this, he goes, he says, man, life is so busy. I got kids, I got a job, I got to go to work, I got to take care of this, I got a mortgage, I got a wife, I got all... And how Jesus a lot of times gets shuffled to the back of the deck, unfortunately. Right? I have to admit, even myself, that happens. Where it's like, i got to do this and this and this and this. Oh, sorry, Lord, I don't have time. And, and God help us that this doesn't become the foremost thing in our life. And it's not about works. It's not about that. But I'm just saying to review these things, review these, tr these truths, can well up and stir up within our hearts how important this event is to us. What this means to us. Amen. Amen. It says this in the book of Hebrews. It says, therefore, Hebrews 2, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression of disobedience received the just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? 
God also bearing witness with signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That this thing did happen, it is true. We know that when we accepted Christ, the love of the Holy, the love of God was poured out in our heart. And it was like, it's easy to follow the Lord when you have this joy just instantly welling up within you. You can go up and hug your worst enemy. But it ain't about feeling, this is about faith. And what Pastor Tyler was saying, faithfulness under hard circumstances. I was wondering what was going through Mary's mind after this glorious appearance of Gabriel. It says, you are going to be the one to birth the Messiah. And she's close to nine months pregnant. Now get on that donkey and drive, go 90 miles up to Bethlehem. I would be thinking to myself, couldn't we just be translated from here to there? You're capable of doing that, God. But yet she went through the hardship of that rigor and that journey and birthed the Messiah in an animal pen. Did her faith diminish at that point? Was it less glorious at that point? Isn't there supposed to be some kind of palace involved with this, the birth of the Messiah? And yet she stood with her faith. It seems the greater the blessing, the greater the challenge, greater the, the trials. Amen. But I love the fact that our Messiah, our God in the flesh, came at these low levels. So the entry point is not unattainable to us. That it's very attainable to us. Amen. It says this, For he has not put the world to, to come of which we speak, this is back in Hebrews, which we speak to the angels, but one he testifies in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things into subjection under his feet. Do you realize that everything is in subjection under Christ right now? We read the book of Ephesians and it talks about Jesus is sitting in heavenly places. And guess what? If we're in Christ, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ right now. That's what it says. We're victorious already. We're overcomers in Christ. We have the victory in Christ right now. But it goes on to say this. For in that he might put into subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Even though this is an established fact, we receive it in faith because we look around in the earth and we say, they don't even want the name of Jesus to be spoken in a public place, yet you're telling me that Jesus is preeminent over everything? We take it by fact. We take it by faith that this is the truth. The world is opposed to this message and it is coming to a conclusion where this kingdom is going to bust into this present darkness and it's going to overtake and we want to make sure that we're holding firm to that reality. Because everything we see here is going to burn at some point. And all the evil that we see in this world will be rectified. And if they don't repent, there's going to be hell to pay. Jesus is always extending, always extending, always extending his forgiveness. But how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen. It should be priority in our hearts. 
This is priority number one. My relationship with Jesus Christ, uncompromised. I love you, Lord. Therefore, when your word says that I do this, I prove my loyalty to you by my actions indeed. That's how we prove that we love it. We know he loves us, but how we prove to him that we love him is by our actions. Amen? Amen. It goes on in, in Hebrews. It says, For it was fitting, this is verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, For it is fitting for him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, and which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name, uh, my name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch as the children have partaken in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Jesus destroyed the power of death and opened up the gates of heaven to us who have faith in him. He took that penalty and he, he uh, nailed it to the cross and every regulation that was against us, he nailed it to the cross and he says, it's open, it's finished, it's been paid in full because God chose to take on a body of flesh. He became us so that he could confer his righteousness upon mankind. That is a miraculous thing. That is the miracle of the incarnation of Christ. That's our inheritance. That's the promise of his word. It's a historical fact. It happened. And help us, Lord, never to lose the wonder of that. In closing, you know, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He's called the Lamb we know that the lambs were the sacrifice, the, the animal that was uh, killed to sacrifice and the blood was atoned for. And it says that when it says in the Bible, it says there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood and the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sin, but were offered year after year after year as a covering, as a covering, as a covering until Christ came and he offered one sacrifice once for all. And he says, anybody who has faith in this sacrifice has eternal life. This lamb, this perfect lamb that was slain for us to open up heaven to us. And in the very end book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, this is the culmination of the story. This is the terminus of the story where this statement that was in the book of Hebrews says, we yet do not see all things in subjecting to Christ. We don't see it as it is yet, but we will. And just as Mary, I'm sure, there was a glorious birth that was coming, but there was some birth pangs that were going to precede that. It's the same thing right now. A glorious new kingdom is coming, but the Lord says before that kingdom comes, there will be birth pangs. There is going to be trials. But keep your eyes fixed upon me. Amen. This is a scene from heaven. This is in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. And John, the one who was the closest to the Lord, 
He says he was translated. He goes, whether I was there in my body, I don't know. But I was there in, 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 on the Lord's day and I seen these things. And I'm writing these things at which I saw. And in chapter 5 he saw this, this scene in heaven. And it says, I saw the right hand of him who is God, who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. This is the condition of mankind hopelessly in a state of fallenness, hopelessly in a state of what are we going to do? This was the reality. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the, or read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and one of the foreign living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out all to the earth. And he came and took the scroll in his right hand, and him who sat on the throne... Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe, every tongue, people, and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth." Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings, and every creature which was in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea. And all of them I heard saying, Blessing, honor, and glory and power. Be unto him who sits under the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Hallelujah. The triumph of the Lamb. Jesus, once again, unclothed of his majesty. I mean, he's, he's uh, revealed in his majesty. The book of Revelation means an unveiling. Like he had a sheet over him like a statue. And all of a sudden we pull it back and we see Jesus in his glory. And they see him. John sees him as to the a lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. But he also saw him as a lamb that was slaughtered. The lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. The reason why Jesus, it says in, in the book of Hebrews, because he was willing to do this, God put all things under in subjection to him. Everything is under Christ's feet. And if we're in Christ, we're seated with him in heavenly places. And that is our position. That is good news. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.